Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. Get paid for your pad. 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 I've begun using a really cool surface from Aviva IQ, and it's made my life so much easier. My guests love receiving all the important details about their stay exactly when they need it. And I love all the five-star reviews I'm getting on communication. Check them out at www.avivaiq.com. Welcome everyone, another episode of Get Paid For Your Pet. And today I am co-hosting this news episode with the co-founder and president of Hostly. And his name is David Jacoby. David, welcome Jasper, to the show. Jasper, my man. Thank you very much. How are you feeling, Jasper? I'm pretty good now. I had a stomach bug that I contracted a couple of days ago. I'm in the Philippines right now, and it's one of those countries where it's fun to eat the local food, but every now and then your stomach isn't really uh, accustomed to the, the different types of bacteria that are out there. And so I've been under the weather for a couple of days. They have a lot of different names for it. Like it happens in Bali sometimes too and it's called the bali blues and i've heard different nicknames for it but it's not the most pleasant thing to get but i've completely recovered now so it's all good all right well you're not a real traveler unless that happens every now and then and glad to hear you've turned the corner yeah exactly it's just part of the experience but i did have to postpone my flight to boracay i was supposed to fly yesterday but i figured uh, given uh, my physical state it wasn't a smart idea to go on an airplane <laughs> so i've now postponed mm-hmm. my flight until tomorrow so tomorrow i'll be flying to boracay which is a really cool little island in the philippines it's a very small island with amazing beaches it's quite popular these days the first time i went that was about six years ago it was a little bit more quiet but It's one of the best places to go kite surfing in Asia, and that's really what I'm after. Awesome. Have fun. I will, and I will be staying at an Airbnb, so that will give me something to talk about on future episodes as well. Nice. Awesome. So let's take a look at what's going on in the world of Airbnb this week. Let's start in Paris. Paris has adopted some new regulation for Airbnb hosts. They already had a rule in place that limits Airbnb hosts renting out full apartments, entire units for 120 days or less per year. And now it seems like they're going the San Francisco route, so to speak, where they are requiring Airbnb hosts to register with the local authorities before listing on Airbnb. And the only thing I'm not quite certain of is whether Airbnb hosts will have to put in like a registration number when they create the listing or if they can still create listings, but then they risk a fine or that Airbnb risks a fine when people are listing without having the registration number. Yeah, good question. So indeed, this is another big smackdown and a curb to the the legislation that's been going on there. And it says this will affect several popular sites, including Airbnb and Homelidays and Abertel, 
with all listings required to display a registration number. So how are they going to enforce that? Here in San Francisco, there was a place for you to put a registration number, but people didn't have to put one in or they could do a made up one. And then they had a lawsuit and reached an agreement with Airbnb and with HomeAway that basically said the listing sites themselves would help track that information. They are starting to force now registration numbers need to be entered and they're removing listings that don't have a registration number and they're cooperating with the city where they're able to confirm that a registration number that is entered is legit. So I don't know if there's going to be a fine for each listing on Airbnb. Not only is the host going to be in trouble, but is Airbnb itself going to get fined? And if Airbnb is going to get fined, then you can be pretty sure they're going to put in some regulation in some way to make sure there's a registration number. Right. And this is the case in San Francisco already. Is that correct? Yeah, it's in the process right now. So there's three rounds, essentially, of getting rid of listings on Airbnb. One happened about a month ago or so, which people call the zombie listing. So when the Super Bowl was here a couple of years ago, there's a big event and people made a listing to try to make money on that one event, and then they've never done anything with it. So all those listings got removed last month. And then just recently, another round of listings that aren't used that often and got removed. And there's a big campaign, like personally, I see it in my Facebook newsfeed all the time from Airbnb saying, you really need to put your registration number on your site and you need to register if you're not registered yet, or you're going to get kicked off in January. We really do mean it. This is a joke. So they've been trying to do a big education campaign with the host. They've slowly been removing listings. I don't think they want to do it all at once because it'll kind of be overwhelming, probably the customer service issues they're dealing with. So like the safer ones, like those zombie listings they did a while ago just to get their feet wet and they're slowly rolling it out. So if I were to create a listing in San Francisco, I would have to enter mm -hmm. a registration number in the signup process and, and that number will be checked like instantly. In other words, if that number is incorrect, then I won't even be able to create a listing. Yeah, it's a little more nuanced than that because part of the agreement was that Airbnb would help make the registration process easier. So if you're a new host and you're not yet registered, Airbnb will help you register with the city and they'll take you through a little wizard that says you need to submit this form and you need to go to this website and fill out this information. So I think there might be a little bit of a delay while they either help you get registered or while they confirm the number that you entered is real or fake. I don't know if that's real time or not. But long story short, if you are not registered and if you don't register immediately, then you won't be on for that long. Additionally, it's not just with Airbnb. It's any listing platform that's listing in San Francisco. So HomeAway and Airbnb were parties to the agreement. So that's the case with HomeAway. I recently created a listing on Booking.com and they required registration as well. So even though they weren't one of the parties in the lawsuit, it does seem like Booking.com and TripAdvisor's FlipKey and all the legit serious platforms are requiring this because they know they'll get fined or get in some sort of trouble. Okay, so at least it's a level playing field for all parties, which is something that is not the case for the limitations that have been put in place in Amsterdam, London, and Paris as to the amount of days that you can list. Because on Airbnb, you have a limit that's enforced, right? And in Amsterdam, for example, you physically just can't 
receive any guests if you've already hosted for 60 days. The calendar just won't accept any bookings. But I don't think that's the case for any of the other platforms. So at least it's good to see that all the different platforms are being treated equally. Basically, the bottom line is if, you know, like the option to have an Airbnb and not be registered, it's just not a very viable option in San Francisco anymore. And I imagine that's going to be the case in Paris as well. And who knows, this might be an example for other cities. It seems like in terms of regulation, there's a whole process. There's sort of a timeline, right? Like, for example, in San Diego, I think right now there is no regulations, but they are having a meeting early next week about the regulation that they want to implement. So they are in the very early stages. And typically what happens is first, there's some regulation in place and eventually it, it kind of like evolves into what's happened in San Francisco. So it'd be interesting to see if that's going to be the norm for big cities around the world. Yes. In San Diego, there's supposed to be a meeting a bunch of times over the past year or so, and it keeps getting delayed and, and regulation proposals keep getting delayed. So we'll see how long they can kick the can down the road. The one thing I'm curious about here in San Francisco, what will happen once this finally goes into effect and over half, maybe even three quarters of the eight to 10,000 listings in San Francisco are going to get wiped out. What's that going to do to Craigslist? I think Craigslist is kind of immune to this. And will it drive a lot of listings underground, so to speak, and put on Craigslist, in which case there's kind of less enforcement around it and there could be some more scams. So we'll see what happens there and if there's any negative repercussions that come out of that. Right. Because what are the reasons not to register? I, I guess, obviously, the people that are doing it illegally, that are not complying with the rules, those are the people that don't want to register. Right. Yeah, that's true. The main types of people that aren't registering are people who have a second home and are renting that out in San Francisco. That's illegal. You can only rent out where you live. So it's not their primary residence and they know they'll get caught or they think they'll get caught when they try to register and, and prove that it's their primary residence. So that's one group. And the other group is renters and they don't want their landlord to find out. Maybe it's against their lease agreement. So when you register, a letter gets sent to the owner of the place. So they know if they register, their landlord will find out they're doing Airbnb and they don't want that to happen. So in both cases, they kind of shouldn't be doing it. Right. Got it. It's definitely a good thing that they're going to get rid of more of those zombie listings because I think the proponents of Airbnb are often using those numbers to make their arguments. And this is something that we talked about last week when we had Mr. Keith Friedman on the show. And we, you know, he's a big proponent of getting rid of all the zombie listings. So I think that's a good thing for sure. One more thing, Jasper, I would encourage any listeners out there, especially if you're in Paris, if you know more details about what's going on there, especially if there's going to be a fine on Airbnb, if they keep listing places that don't have a registration number to send us that information. Absolutely. Let's jump to the next topic for today. Let's see. There was an article, interesting article, actually, in Quartzy. I hope I pronounced it correctly. I've never heard of it. But there's basically, is this someone who used to love Airbnb a lot and now has kind of fell out of love with Airbnb due to the fact that, you know, things have changed a little bit, right? Like four or five years ago, if you 
where to book an Airbnb, it was always like a personal experience. It was always somebody who was either living at their place or co-hosting, renting out the shared space. And it was a very personal kind of romantic experience. And now obviously that has changed a lot now that a lot of you know bigger companies have started using Airbnb just as a different marketing channel for their units. And this person you know clearly doesn't really like that. Airbnb has lost its charm and all sorts of stuff. And it's kind of an interesting topic because I see this more often in the different Facebook groups that are out there, especially the people who've been using Airbnb for a long time. They're saying that, you know, it's changing in a bad way. And some people are even saying that this is going to be the thing that will eventually put Airbnb down. And, you know, I, I don't think it's going to go that far. But what are, what are your thoughts on this, David? It was a little bittersweet reading that article, and I'm sad for this person who's feeling an experience with Airbnb has changed, although I understand where they're coming from. Obviously, as the company has grown, they've needed to find additional ways of growing and getting revenue. And, and one big thing with that has been a much higher ratio of private homes to shared spaces. So they're getting more in the vacation rental space and not just an urban website anymore, but they're basically competing head up with vacation rental destinations with other sites like HomeAway for a completely private place. So I think though what this person can do while they're searching for places, just read the reviews, search a shared home and read the reviews and you can still find plenty of that experience that you had five years ago when you first started traveling through Airbnb. And I think there's many hosts out there, especially listeners to get paid for your pad, who are like that same feeling and that spirit of sharing your home from many years ago. So there's more of other stuff, but there still is what you're looking for. It might be a little harder to find, but I don't think it's disappeared. In fact, I think it's even grown. It's just percentage-wise, there's been all this other stuff. So if you don't like the other stuff, don't do the other stuff. Some people love the trips and experiences. And this person was kind of saying, no, you know, this is kind of getting in the way. And obviously, it's been a little controversial this past year that they've launched it. I think the final thing that they said towards the end was, in a sense, the whole platform has started to feel less like a tool to plan the kind of trip I want to have and more like a travel company that wants to plan my entire trip for me and make money off it at every step in the process. And Brian Chesky's talked about that, right? Wanting to upsell experiences. And he's talked about airfare and getting involved in that. And who knows what that means. So if you like Airbnb and you want the lifestyle, they want to be a lifestyle brand and they're kind of heading that direction, but you can still pick and choose what you want. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that point. The personal experiences are still out there and just the fact that some other people are using the platform now that aren't offering that experience shouldn't prevent you from having the same experience for yourself. I do agree with her that the front page has kind of changed in a way where you know it's mm -hmm. very clear that Airbnb is trying to push the experiences because I just opened up airbnb.com right now and I'm in Cebu in the Philippines and the first thing I see is explore Airbnb right so it's like homes experiences restaurants so it's clear that Airbnb really wants to let people know hey we're not just homes anymore we're doing other things and then the second thing that I see is experiences but it's showing experiences on the other side of the world I'm seeing learn how to fly a plane <laughs> in Los Angeles well that's great but that's like you know, 15,000 miles away. And then there's something in New York and San Diego and I'm seeing homes in Italy and, you know, I'm in the Philippines. Like if they could at least like show me something that, that I can book with around here, that'd be better. But I think they want to be that travel company. 
I can see that some people, you know, might not like that idea, but at the same time, you know, sometimes people don't really know what they want, right? I mean, I bet you if you would have asked a thousand people in 2007, would you ever rent out your place to a stranger from the internet or would you ever share your home with somebody that you've never met from the internet? I bet you most people would have said no. And some of those people are probably using Airbnb right now. And it's kind of the same thing when new technology comes out. I remember when the mobile phones first came out and a lot of my friends and family, they were saying, oh, this is annoying. Like people are like calling everywhere and the train and the bus. I can't read my book anymore. And I don't want these phones. Like I'm never going to get one. And now obviously like everyone's using their phone and now you hear the same people when they lose their phone, they're like, they're panicking and they're saying, oh, what am I going to do without my phone, right? Sometimes people just don't really know what they want and who knows, maybe this person five years from now, maybe this person is will be very happy with all the experiences and trips and booking flights for Airbnb and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of hard to predict as well. When things change, there's always some opposition. A good example, I think, is I've always noticed that you know, when you go to a nightclub, initially they love the nightclub. And as more and more people hear about it, more and more people started coming and, you know, the crowd started changing. And suddenly the people who first showed up, they're saying, oh, it's not as good anymore, you know, mm -hmm. or, or even like places to travel to. Boracay, for example, it's still like a really cool place to go. But yeah, I mean, other people have found out about it. It's no longer the case that you walk on the beach and there's, you're sharing it with like three other people. No, there's going to be lots of people on the beach now. And, you know, obviously that's a different experience. But at the same time, it also allows a lot of people to take advantage of this beautiful location. So, you know, I think there's kind of like two sides of the coin there. As they say, it's so crowded, no one goes there anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that's typical growing pains of a startup as they try to, you know, keep their identity, but grow and scale as well. This reminds me a little bit of the couch surfing community. This is a much grander scale Airbnb, but the couch surfing community was a very enthusiastic community back around 2010 or so when Airbnb was still pretty new. And at that time, they actually were a nonprofit and they changed, got some venture funding and became for profit and tried to find some ways to make money. And in doing so, they really lost a lot of their enthusiastic followers. And it's not nearly as popular as it once was. And Airbnb is trying to scale and grow. They are a business, but still keep this charm and this, you know, belong anywhere attitude. We'll see how it goes. It also reminds me a lot of Burning Man, where I'll meet people who went to Burning Man for the first time a year ago. This is like what you were saying with the nightclub. And, and they loved it. They had the most amazing time. It was their first time. But someone who's been there 15 years now, they're like, oh, it's not like it used to be back when it was small and different and this and that. So for people who started on Airbnb a long time ago, they feel they claim ownership and they have a right to be maybe upset about some of the changes. But that still doesn't mean that new people aren't getting these great, wonderful personal experiences when they travel. Hosts, does it feel like you're spending way too much time responding to questions from your Airbnb guests? Is the fear of a possible bad review keeping you up at night? I recently learned about a really helpful service called Aviva IQ. With Aviva IQ, my workload and worries have reduced dramatically. All I had to do was link my Airbnb listings to Aviva IQ, create my messages and schedule delivery times. That's it. I can't believe how easy it was to set up. Now I can sit back and relax knowing that my guests receive all the important details on time, every time. Everybody sleeps better. Check them out at www.avivaiq.com.
Well, before we run out of time, let's cover a few of the other topics Already? because we're, you know, we're getting too good at talking. <laughs> so let's talk about the new feature that Airbnb has launched that enables mm. Airbnb users to split payments. I think this was one of the top requests that Brian Chesky got on his Twitter chat in 2016. I think this is a really good addition to the platform. I think it really uh, helps you create a better user experience. And I do know from my experience as a host that I've had several times I had a booking request that I accepted and then the payment wouldn't come through because the person just wasn't able to book that particular amount on their credit card. These are often people from third world countries where maybe credit card limits aren't as high. And so these people would email me or message me and say, hey, can I somehow pay part of it and have my friends pay the rest because I can't pay this one big amount on my personal credit card. So now I think that problem has been solved. And I think the other problem that it solves is that you know, when you do book an Airbnb for multiple people, and I have done so many times in the past, a lot of people travel in groups on Airbnb, and then you have to get your money back, right? So you have to charge the people that you travel with. And in my experience, most people do end up paying, but sometimes it kind of like takes a long time and you have to follow up on people and it's kind of annoying. So I definitely think this is a really good feature that they implemented. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the truth of the matter is people travel in groups and a lot of travel sites don't really acknowledge that. And Airbnb has been a leader in that. First was with the reviews. As a host, you can review the two guests and two guests can review the host. So that's been a change that they implemented. Was it last year, maybe? And then they made this acquisition of a company called Tilt earlier in this year. Tilt was a company that big darling here in Silicon Valley. They had around 60 million in venture funding and ended up not doing too well. They were more a payment company that was ended up competing with PayPal and with Venmo. And I think this acquisition was more along the lines of 12 million or so. So not the best of exits. It was more of an aqua hire for the talent on the Tilt team. And they've been working all year on the big thing from Brian Chesky's Twitter feed, as you said, what people were asking for on the split payments. So it's just a reality of life. The one thing that I am a little concerned about, Jasper, is the effect that it might have on the host. So one comment that it said here was the booking is placed on hold for 72 hours, giving time for others in the group to pay their portion of the bill. So if there's a fallout from that, that means there were three days that the listing was off when the host could have gotten another reservation. If only there was a way that they could confirm the payments from all the people in the group before the reservation gets made, that would be more host friendly. That's a very good point indeed. I didn't think of that. And that's why I have you on the show, David. Next topic. Let's see. Some news from China. Airbnb's competitor in China, Xiaozu, has taken it upon themselves to try out a new smart lock that actually uses facial recognition to identify the guest. And so basically what will happen is you walk up to the smart lock, you know, you kind of like put your face in front of the camera and then the camera decides if you are actually the person that booked the unit. And if so, then the door will open. And the reason that they are looking to implement this is that because in China, by law, you are required to register your guest with local authorities. And, you know, sometimes if you're using a smart lock, you can't really guarantee that the person who booked your place is actually the person that's going to go into your house. They're trying to use this new technology to comply with the laws. And I guess they're trying to be better than Airbnb in that matter. 
Yeah, I just saw this YouTube video where this sort of sculpture, let's say for lack of a better word, of a of a face was used to unlock the new iPhone. So there, <laughs> people are competing. There's going to be this ongoing battle with the facial recognition. But this does seem like a pretty legit thing. And one thing that it pointed out was that the smart lock strategy is expected to give this home sharing unicorn, they call it Chaoju, a leg up against Airbnb when it comes to mainland China market. So there really is a big battle in China for the home sharing space with Chaoju, with Tujia, which we talked about as well, and Airbnb. It seems like a three-way race and they're all trying to one-up each other and they're all trying to get lots of venture money. And Nate, the co-founder of Airbnb, he's really stepped in and he's leading the charge for Airbnb in China. So that's a big growth area and it'll be exciting to see how things unfold in 2018. Absolutely. I'm going to quickly mention a few tips that I saw in an article about how to decorate your Airbnb real quick. We have one minute left. So the most useful tips I saw is that in order to optimize the sleeping experience, it's a good idea to offer your guests a range of pillows. Like, for example, a feather one, a memory foam one, or a polyester one, because people... <laughs> People prefer different types of pillows. I thought that was a good idea. And then also the person mentions the importance of a smart TV. You know, more and more people have Apple IDs and instead of getting cable television for your guest, you know, having a smart TV is something that a lot of guests appreciate. So I thought that was an interesting point as well. By the way, talking about smart locks, you got an August smart lock a while ago, right? How's that going? I did. I think I mentioned I was about to get it on my last show. So it's been great. I've installed it. I've started to give the codes out a little bit and I'm still using the old school key as well. People feel more comfortable with that. So I'm kind of tapping my foot in the water and making adjustments with that. So I'm not 100% you need to use the smart lock and, and not use the key. But still, nonetheless, two big benefits that I found out of this. One is I get notified when people come and go, when my door is locked or unlocked. And I can be upstairs and I don't know, especially when my guests are about to arrive, I don't always hear it. So getting the message on my phone, I can then go down and greet them and say hi. Or right when they leave, I know that they've left and I can go and, you know, get laundry started and stuff like that. So that's been one big benefit. The other on a personal note is it tells when I'm getting close to the home through my phone, the Bluetooth connection, and it automatically unlocks the door. So now I just walk home, walk up the stairs, and I don't need to take a key out or anything. And the doors just open. I can open it up. So if I'm carrying lots of bags or carrying my kids or something, it makes things a whole lot easier now. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that, David. And thanks for co-hosting this news episode with me. And of course, we'll have you back in a couple of weeks from now. And to all the listeners, thanks for listening. And on Monday, there'll be a very interesting episode where I have a San Diego host on the show who's been hosting since 2011 and has really interesting advice to share. I've learned a lot. So definitely check back on Monday for next episode of Get Made for Your Pad. Get Made for Your Pad. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet.